0: We pray. Amen. We started Numbers last week, and of course, there's two main themes in the book of Numbers as we go through this book. Numbers is going to cover about thirty-eight, thirty-nine years of the wilderness wandering that the children of Israel are um, in as they have left Egypt, of course, as we saw in the book of Exodus, going through that book as Moses would lead them out and bring them to the mountain of God, where they received the Ten Commandments, the law of God, and God would make a covenant with them. They would then construct the tabernacle, all the furnishings of the tabernacle, and then the priests also would begin to be prepared for their priestly service. And so that would take about a year in the construction of the tabernacle that was given to Moses there on Mount Sinai. The Lord said, build this tabernacle so I can meet with my people, So as we moved into Leviticus, that time span of Leviticus only covered about 30 days, where the priests were there prepared for ministry and then presented for ministry. And then they would be given their duties and how they were to minister before the Lord. So we looked at that in Leviticus, plus more of the ceremonial and civic laws that were given to the children of Israel. Remember that as we go through these books, Numbers and Deuteronomy, uh, that we are seeing that God is preparing a nation to go into the promised land. And so he's giving them his law. He's telling them how it is that they are to, to live, their judges, how they are to judge. the the religious, ceremonial, civil laws that are given to them for the nation because they were to be set apart from the other nations. And so we see that Numbers now is going to cover about 38 years, a census that we saw taken of the children of Israel in chapter 1. And in that census of the 12 tribes, we saw that there were over 600,000 men, 20 years and above, that were ready for war. So that's why scholars come up with a number between 2 and 3 million people that were in this wilderness wandering and i believe that perhaps as some scholars also suggest that there may have been more than three million because you remember in exodus chapter one that they were going through a great population explosion pharaoh saw that that they were growing and they were multiplying exceedingly is what exodus chapter one tells us and so there's a lot of kids and so they're very easily very conservatively could have been two and a half three maybe even more of people that are moving out into the wilderness that god is preparing for them to now move into the promised land But in the book of Numbers, one of the things that we're going to see is that they would end up 40 years in the wilderness. It would be a whole new generation that's going to move into the promised land. And the reason that they were there for 40 years is because of disobedience and because of mistrust. They didn't trust in God's word and promises given to them. They were murmuring and complaining, and they were ones that remained out in that hot, barren desert, taking laps around Mount Sinai. So one of the important lessons that we see as we go through numbers, and numbers is going to tell us a number of stories that uh, the children of Israel and some of the things that they did in their murmuring and complaining and mistrust towards the Lord that would keep them in their wilderness wanderings. And so one of the lessons that we will see in our own lives that as we journey in our lives with the Lord, that one way that we can experience barrenness and and the wilderness experience that will continue in our lives if we walk in disobedience to the Lord and we're not trusting what his promises and his word is declared to us. And that's something that we see all throughout the scriptures, but particularly is going to be pointed out to us as we continue in the book of Numbers. So that's the first thing that we will see as we journey through Numbers. But second of all, we're also going to see that Numbers shows us that God is a God of order, that he does have specific orders in these these um... in this nation here on how they were to set up camp how they were to break camp the duties that were given to the priests very specifically that we saw in the book of Leviticus, but now as we get into the book of Numbers, the Levites are going to come along, and they're going to assist the priests in their ministry. Now, one of the things that we knew is that the priests came from the direct descendants of Aaron. So let's begin to read that in Numbers chapter 3, as now these are the records of Aaron and Moses when the Lord spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, Nabad, the firstborn in Abihu, Eleasar, and Ithamar, and these are the names of the sons of Aaron, the anointed priests, whom he consecrated to minister as priests. Nabat and Abihu had died before the Lord when they offered profane fires before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai, and they had no children. So Eleasar and Ithamar minister as priests in the presence of Aaron, their father. So we do know that the priests again direct descendants of Aaron, and so Aaron had four sons. As in Leviticus, again, to remind you that in Chapter Eight, we saw how it was that the priests were prepared for ministry. they were washed with water, they were anointed with oil, We made those applications. how you and I we were washed with the blood of Jesus Christ, we are washed with the Holy Spirit of regeneration. We are washed with the water of the word that prepares us to be able to go and minister to others. And then oil, speaking of the Holy Spirit, we're anointed with the Holy Spirit to do the things that God has called us to do. And whatever ministry that he has called us to and wherever he has placed us and the duties that he has for you and for me. And so we saw that. And then in chapter 10, after the dedication of the tabernacle and there was fire that came out from before the Lord, it was Nabad and Abihu that lit... Profane fire, they let their own censers, ran into the Holy of Holies, and then they were consumed by fire. And we saw that as they were consumed, that it was the Lord that came to Aaron and said, Listen, Aaron, you and your remaining two sons that are going to carry on the priestly ministry make sure that you're not intoxicated with drink so in other words the indication is is that they were ones that were intoxicated with drink and so the Lord said I want you to be able to distinguish between that which is holy and unholy that which is clean and unclean and so again they were told not to go into the Holy of Holies so we get a picture of what it was that they did lighting that profane fire and again Um, those are things that we talked about very specifically as we went through those chapters. So the direct descendants of Aaron are going to be the priests. Now, all priests were Levites, but I want you to keep this in mind. As we go through Numbers and we talk about the Levites, not all Levites are priests. Do we understand that? Because there are going to be different families from Levites. Aaron and his family is going to be the priestly ministry. And then the other families that are going to be named to us, mainly three families mentioned here in the family of Levi, they're going to come along and they're going to assist here the priests in their priestly ministry, in the ministry of the tabernacle. And so the Levites are not going to do the ministry of the priests. They're going to have their own specific duties that they're called to do. So we're going to see those duties in chapters 3 and 4, that this is what this family of the Levites are to do. This is what the second family is to do. This is what the third family is to do. So in the book of Numbers, as we go through this, we see again very clearly that God has order. We know that when Paul the Apostle was writing to the Corinthian church, he was talking about the spiritual gifts in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, how they were to be exercised in the corporate meeting. uh, meeting. And we know that at the end of that chapter that Paul writes that that you are to do everything decently and in order. God is an order of decency. Uh, He is a God of order and decency. And we know that there's order to his creation, isn't there? As you look at the universe there's order in the universe there's the sun there's the, the solar system there's the planets that rotate around the sun the moons that rotate around uh, the planets one of the things that evolutionists cannot explain is how you have a big bang theory is what they suggest that perhaps the origins of the universe how it started how it ended up having order there's order in the universe isn't there so it shows you and me, just as the scriptures declare from Romans chapter 1, that there is a creator because there's order in the heavens as we look at the heavens that declare the glory of God. As we look at the creation all around us on this earth, we see that there's order there. But remember this, that you and me in, my, in our lives, that there's order as well when it comes to our lives individually, that the Lord has specific things that he says, commands and principles and truths and, and uh, those things that are given to us and how we are to walk with him, how we are to live for him. We also know that there's order given to us In our families, as he says, here's how I divinely have the family that is to be ordered. And so he has children be in submission to your parents. And husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And you are to be the head of the wife that is loving her and cherishing her. And so these are the orders that God has for you and for me. He has order for the church as we see the church model for us in the book of Acts, but also explain to us what the church is to be about and how uh, specific uh, leadership is to be obtained and ordained and all of that in the New Testament. And in our lives individually and in the church corporately, as we follow the order of God, as we are obedient to his word, as we look at his ways, we're going to have a blessed life. He has an order in which you and I are to do ministry and how we worship him. All these patterns that are given to us in the scripture because he's a God of order and decency, isn't he? And so we don't just wander through life you know, aimlessly, but he gives us real purpose and instructions. Do you understand what I'm saying? And as long as we stay with that and say, Lord, I'm going to be obedient to you, I see your truths and the patterns. I I see your commands that are given to me and how I am to live, how I am to serve, how I am to walk with you in my family, in the church corporately. We know that, that things are going to go well because God's ways are true and they are good. And so that's what we see here in the book of Numbers. Again, get out of your mind the Charlton Heston's Ten Commandments movie that will be coming on around um, you know, Easter, and I like that movie. But they give the picture of you know, a mass amount of people going out into the wilderness. They would go out, as Exodus chapter 13 says, in orderly ranks, didn't they? Also, we know that they set up camp, as we saw in chapter 2, in a very specific order. Three tribes on the east side, three on the south side, three on the west side, three on the north side. And then the tribe of Levi, we're going to see, is going to be around the tabernacle, the tabernacle always in the middle of the camp. And all the tents would face the tabernacles. And then also Aaron and Moses would live towards the entrance of the tabernacle that's all going to be seen here so the priestly ministry coming from the descendants of aaron and then now the levites are going to come alongside and they're going to assist here um, the the priests in their ministry so verse five and the lord spoke to moses saying bring the tribal levi near and present them before aaron the priest that they may serve that they may serve him, and they shall attend to his needs and the needs of the whole congregation before the tabernacle of meeting to do the work of the tabernacle. Also they shall attend to all the furnishings of the tabernacle of meeting, to the needs of the children of Israel to do the work of the tabernacle. And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are given entirely to him from among the children of Israel. So you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall attend to their priesthood. But the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. So you Levites, you're going to be given to Aaron and you're going to be given specific duties. Again, it was the duties of the priests that they did the sacrifices. They took care of the tabernacle in the holy place, the menorah, the shoe bread table. They burnt incense. These Levites are not going to do those ministries. We're going to move on here and we're going to see how it is that they are to assist the priests in the tabernacle ministry. And so verse 11, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now behold, I myself have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel, instead of every firstborn who opens the wound among the children of Israel. Therefore the Levites shall be mine, because all the firstborn are mine on the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. I have sanctified to myself all the firstborn in Israel, both man and beast, they shall be mine, I am the Lord." Now, you recall that it was back in Exodus chapter 13, we saw the law of the firstborn. As that tenth and final plague came down upon Egypt, it was the firstborn that was killed in Egypt. And those who would take the Passover that was instituted at that time, the Passover lamb, and take the blood of that lamb and put it on their doorposts and the lentils, they were saved from that plague. And so they would leave Egypt at that time. The Lord gave the law of the firstborn. He said, now the firstborn is dedicated to me. And we're going to see now that the Levites are going to be the ones dedicated to the Lord. And we'll see more about that as we get to the end of the chapter. So verse 14, now we see the census of the Levites. Again, to remind you that sometimes people get confused. They say, well, really, there's 13 tribes. Keep in mind that Jacob had 12 sons. And each of those sons are the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel, right? Joseph, who would go off into Egypt and be the prime minister of Egypt, would actually be used of God to save his family during that time of famine. That he had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and they would be included in the tribes of Israel. So oftentimes you'll see Ephraim and Manasseh, and we saw all those 12 tribes listed in chapter 2 that would camp around the tabernacle, in the area and on the side that they were supposed to be on. The Levites now, they were not included in the census in chapter 1 or where they were to camp in chapter 2 because they're camping next to the tabernacle. So the census is given of the Levites in verse 14. The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, saying, Number the children of Levi by their father's houses, by their families. You shall number every male from a month old and above. So Moses numbered them according to the word of the Lord as he commanded. And these are the sons of Levi by their names, Gershon, Koath, and Merari. Now keep these names in mind because these are the three main families that are going to be given responsibilities in how they are to assist Aaron and his sons. There's Koath, there's Gershon, and there's Meriahs. And these are the names of the sons of Gershon by their families, Libni and Shemi and the sons of Koath by their families, Amram and I- Zehar and Hebron and Eziel, and the sons of Meri by their families, Mehi and Mushai, and these are the families of the Levites by their fathers' houses. I hope you're getting these down because there's going to be a test on this next week. (laughs) In verse 21, from Gershon came the family of the Libnites and the family of the Shemites. And these are the families of the Gershonites, so lots of ites that are named here. In verse 22, those who were numbered according to the number of all the males. From a month old and above of those who were numbered, there were 7,500. So in this census, remember that of the 12 tribes, it was the males 20 years and above that were numbered, ready for war. Here in the Levites, it was those who are a month old and above um, that are being numbered here in the numbers given to us. And so verse 23, the families of the Gershonites were to camp behind the tabernacle westward, and the leader of the father's house of the Gershonite was Elisaph, the son of Lael. And so here you, uh, uh, Gershon, your family, this is where you camp. You camp on the west side of the tabernacle. So this order is given to them. The tabernacle, the door of the tabernacle, of course, only one entrance into the tabernacle. And that door always faced east. And so they're on the backside of the tabernacle. And so we read in verse 25, The duties of the children of Gershon in the tabernacle of meeting included the tabernacle, the tent with its covering, the screen for the door, and the tabernacle of meeting, the screen for the door of the court, and the hangings of the court, which are around the tabernacle and the altar, and their courts according to all the work relating to them. And so we see here um, that it is given their responsibilities. Here's what you guys are to do, the Gershonites. What you are to do is you are to take care of the coverings. So remember, I'm sure that you do, when we went through the book of Exodus, the coverings of the tabernacle, there was four coverings of animal skins that covered the tabernacle. On the outside, the tabernacle was nothing of beauty really at all. It was covered with badger skins and goat skins and all that that we saw in the details given to us. Now the inside layer was a blue colored, and then intricately woven was cherubim. So as you went into the tabernacle itself, it was made of those boards covered with gold. And then the menorah would light against the walls. Very beautiful. And then you would see the cherubim. But on the outside, it was just, you noticed the animal skins, badger skins. So you Gershonites, this is what you are to do. And again, to remind you, here is a nation of about 3 million people, the size of Denver and surrounding area. So when that pillar of fire or pillar of cloud would move, the children of Israel would have to pack up and move. And so all the tents would go down. You recall last week that it was the tribe of Judah from the east side. You guys go out and rank first. The tabernacle would uh, follow after the east side would go. Then the south side, those tribes would go. Then the tabernacle would go, and all the Levites and the priests that were there, and they had a duty in which they had to tear down the tabernacle. Again, it was a temporary structure. It was a movable structure, so all the boards had to be taken down, all the coverings, all the pegs, the cords. It's almost like a camping trip, isn't it? The tabernacle really wasn't all that big, but it was a huge tent, and so these guys are responsible. Hey, you Gershonites... You take care of the coverings. You take care of the screen, the curtain that was into the entrance of the tabernacle, and the screen as the entrance into the outer court. And remember, the outer court had a wall that was just made of curtains that were a certain height. They were to fold all that up, and that was their duty. In verse 27, now the Koath came, the family of the Amorites, and the family of the Izahites, and the family of the Hebanites, and the family of the uh, Uzalites, and these were the families of the Kohathites. Whew. Verse 28 According to the number of all the males from a month old and above, there were 8,600 keeping the charge of the sanctuary. The families of the children of Kohath were to camp on the south side of the tabernacle. So these guys, this family, camped on the south side of the tabernacle, and the leader of the father's house of the families of the Kohathites was Eliphan, the son of Uziel. And their duty included the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the utensils of the sanctuary in which they ministered, the screen, and all the work relating to them. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, was to be chief over the leaders of the Levites with oversight of those who kept charge of the sanctuary. So Eleazar, he was in charge to make sure that they did the work correctly. In verse 33, now Maryi, and again to remind you that it was the Koites. They camped on the south side. Now the third family, Meri verse 33, came the family of the Malites and the family of the Hushites who were the families of Meri, And those who were numbered according to the number of all the males from a month old and above were 6,200. And the leader of the father's house of the families with Meri was Zurael and the son of Heb Haal, and those who camp on the north side of the tabernacle, and the appointed duty of the children of Marii included the boards of the tabernacle, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, its utensils, and the work relating to them, and the pillars of the cord all around, with their sockets, their pegs, and their cords. And moreover, verse 38, those who were camped before the tabernacle on the east, before the tabernacle of meeting, were Moses and Aaron and his sons, keeping charge of the sanctuary to meet the needs of the children of Israel. But the outsider who came near was to be put to death. What can we learn from this? All these names, all these families, here's where these groups come from. Here's what God is saying. You Levites, you are to have order in your life to where this is where you're to camp. That is, the Gershonites they were to camp on the west side. South side would be the Kohathites. Then on the other side uh, would be, um, on the north side, would be the Merariites. Um, the and then Moses and Aaron would be on the east side, again, close to the entrance of the tabernacle. You know what? I think of a couple things here that I think are worth port, uh, pointing out tonight as we make application. Number one. Moses and Aaron were near the entrance of the tabernacle. That's where they would camp. And as I look at Moses' life, Moses was one that he had an intimate fellowship and relationship with the Lord, didn't he? He was one that he set up, as we saw in Exodus, his own tabernacle meeting before this tabernacle was constructed. And he would go in and pray, and there the, the, the glory of the Lord would be evident to the people as they watched Moses. And Moses would pray to the Lord, and the Lord talked to him as a man would talk to his friend. And Moses was always there, close to the presence of God. He was on the east side to the entrance and closest to where the high priest would go behind that veil to the tangible uh, presence of God was. And that's where the Lord said, I will meet with you. And I'll tell you what, one way for you and for me that we can stay close to the Lord and have closeness and intimacy and real, really sense the presence of the Lord as you camp near the tabernacle, folks. And it is Hebrews that now comes along and says to you and to me that we have a new covenant with the Lord, don't we? It's a better covenant. That's one of the things that we're going to see when we finish Matthew's gospel on Sunday morning. We're now in that section of Matthew's gospel where Jesus is going to be headed to the cross of Calvary. And we're going to finish up with the resurrection on Easter morning. Then after Easter, we're going to start the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is written to show us that there's a better way, a superior way, and that is Jesus Christ and what he did in going to Calvary's cross as a sacrifice for you and for me. And now we can enter into the Holy of Holies. Because remember that only the high priest was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. But now all of us can enter in because of the blood of Jesus Christ and have closeness and intimacy and and really sense the presence of God. What a marvelous opportunity that you and I have to be able to do that, not just once a year as the high priest, but any time we want and stay there as long as we want. In the presence of God, you stay close to him. That's what Moses did. I always see Moses close to the presence of God and fellowshipping with him, and praying with him, and calling out to him, and I hope and pray for all of us that that would be our hearts. Lord, I just want to be close to you, fellowship with you throughout the day, when I begin my day, when I end my day, and Lord, I just want to to be in your presence as I come into the Holy of Holies, as Lord, I spend time with you in your word, as I cry out to you, as I worship you, that that would be our mindset and our hearts all throughout our days that we live throughout this day that we are in presently and so here was those guys at the door of the tabernacle but also notice here in verse 38 that if the outsider who came near was to be put to death you think that sounds kind of harsh but i think this is important you levites they were told you're going to do the work in assisting the priests." But don't let no outsiders come and and get involved in that. In other words, the other tribes, they're going to be given duties that they can do and help serving the Lord and being dedicated to the Lord in that service. But they weren't to come over to the tabernacle and just start doing the work of the Levites. You Levites, you're not to do the work of the priests. And so the Lord had something very specific for them to do. And as we go through this book again, to remind you at this point in our study that we go through these names and you think these names and all these people, but God knew their names. And God, it was important for him to write these names in his word that's going to be established forever because heaven and earth will pass away. But Jesus said, my words will never pass away. And he knew them and he says, I got a duty for you. I got something specifically for you to do. I pray that we here at Calvary Chapel, And I pray for the church at large that we would understand something that is explained to us very clearly as we go to the New Testament. That we as the body of Christ, that the Lord has something for you to do. He knows you, he knows your name, he desires for you to have real purpose in your life to just be used of him. how he uses you that 's between you and the Lord for you to search him and for you to ask for you to be sensitive to his leading in the gifts and the abilities and the opportunities and in the time that is given to you to serve and wherever God has planted you. Perhaps it might be raising your children right now as they're young. Perhaps it might be in other ministry outside these four walls. It might be using your gifts in some way here at Calvary Chapel, whatever that might mean for you. But I pray that none of us would have the mindset of God can never use me. It's you as a believer in Jesus Christ. You're part of the body of Christ. And Paul would write to the Corinthian believers when he was talking about spiritual gifts, that you're all one part of the body and you all have a function in the body of Christ so the whole body of Christ can work in the way that it should to be a witness and a testimony to a lost world out there you have something that the Lord has for you and, and don't think that whatever it might be that that's insignificant I mean look at these guys I mean it wasn't the, the, the Coe family I think that would be cool to go in and I get to be the one that carries the Ark of the Covenant and the Lord said in chapter 4 we're going to see very specifically, he says, this is how you do it. These are the details in how you do it. This is the pattern which I'm giving to you to do these things. But it wasn't the Kothites that went and, and began to make fun of the, you know, of the Maronites who had to take care of the pegs and the cords and all of this. Again, think of it as camping. You know, when we camp, you've got to put down the tent. Here are the Gershonites, they folded up the tent. And here are the Kohathites. They get to take everything out and put it away and, and bear all those things on their shoulders. And it was the Maronites, they had to take care of the pegs and the, the ropes. I think that was the most tedious of the duties because there was lots of pegs and talons. And, and when it got broken down, they had to keep track of it and all of this, didn't they? It's kind of like when you go camping. There's nothing more of a drag when you put up your tent again and half the pegs are missing or cords or whatever it is it doesn't work so they had quite the responsibility and details but the thing is is that one task was not greater than the other that the lord says here are your responsibilities and it was all important so that it all came together that the tabernacle would go up so they could meet with their lord once again again the old testament covenant here That that was their means of approaching the Lord through the sacrifice and then the high priest in the presence of the Lord. And so here it was important that that tabernacle be erected and things done in the way that God had told them. Don't ever think that whatever God has for you that that's insignificant. Because it's not. The youth on Sunday night, it was was, uh, wonderful. The weather uh, kept for us and with the change of daylight savings time we were able to get outside and, and run around a little bit, play a little dodgeball before it got dark and a little kickball or whatever. And one of the kids that was there, on his pinky had a cut, and so he had you know a, uh, kind of a little splinter thing on it. And he would throw the ball, and it really hurt him. I mean, that little pinky. And whenever you cut a finger or a toe or something, you realize how significant really that part of the body is. But you never have you know, your ears making fun of your toes or something. Ha ha, you're down there and, you know, and I'm more important than you. It's the same with us. And I think that it's important for us to understand that there are different duties in the body of Christ so the body of Christ can function in a way that it's supposed to. And maybe God has called you to pray for people. Maybe the Lord has called you to, to maybe make a meal at times when people need that meals, we have a meals ministry, to hand out bulletins, to work with the children or to lead a Bible study, whatever it might be. Again, whatever it is that God has called you to do, that's important. And to do that thing. But don't look at somebody else's ministry or try to do that ministry. Because there will just be death that will happen in you spiritually to your ministry that that you're doing. And, and, And I know that to be true. Whenever we begin to say, hey, I want to do what the Kohathites are doing. I want to do what the Gershonites and the Aramaranites is dealing with the pegs and the cords. The Lord said no. And any outsider that comes in will be put to death. One way to really put to death, your excitement in serving the Lord, and what he has for you in your longevity in serving the Lord, is that you're looking at somebody else's ministry and I want to do that or or you're thinking that I'm insignificant in what I do, or I'm more important than what you do. We need to be careful, and we need to encourage one another and edify one another. And I pray that we would do that. And those of you who perhaps, again, as we've talked about much of this, even in Matthew's Gospels, the parable of the talents, and being the wise and faithful servant that we saw in the Olivet Discourse, that as you continue in your ministry that God has called you to do, as you pray about what it is that I can get involved in, that you would just have a peace about, Lord, this is what you called me to do. It's not insignificant. These are the opportunities, and Lord, help me to do it with joy. There's such freedom in that. As being a pastor, sometimes people will come to me and say, Pastor Jeff, this is what you need to do. And there's always those few that think, You know, that this is what you need to do and you should do that and you should do this and more this and that. And what is so freeing for me and gives me such a peace, I know what God has called me to do. And that is the pastor of this church. He has called me to teach the word of God and take you through the scriptures, not just teach from the scriptures. There's a big difference. And by his grace and by his strength and by his goodness... And as wonderful workings in my life. I've been able to take you through all 66 books of the Bible, and we're going through it now a second time. But it's so freeing to know that, Lord, that's what you've called me to do, to feed the sheep here at Calvary Chapel, to love them, to minister to them, and whatever that might mean. That I don't have to get sidetracked with all of this and that, and you need to do more of that. And all of us, we can feel that. You see, people can put heavy burdens on us. Jesus came along and said, my burden is light, didn't he? My yoke is easy, my burden is light. And when you're functioning by the power of the Holy Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit, in whatever ministry, whether that's taking a peg that you're to collect, or whether you're carrying the Ark of the Covenant, that you're doing it with joy and with real peace, and God leads you, and that's going to help you in your longevity and serving the Lord and doing it with great joy. The Lord has something for every single one of us to do. And I pray that we get out of the mindset that I can't be used to the Lord. Listen, I really believe that he has me up here on this stool to be a testimony to you that if he can use me, he can use you. He can use any one of you. And that that he desires to do that and do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And so important lessons as we look at this. And so verse 39, all who are numbered to the Levites, who Moses and Aaron numbered at the commandment of the Lord by their families, all the males, a month old and above, were 22,000. And then we see that the Levites are dedicated. And then the Lord said to Moses, verse 40, number all the firstborn males of the children of Israel from a month old and above and take the number of their names. And you shall take the Levites for me. I am the Lord. Instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel and the livestock of the Levites instead of the firstborn among the livestock of the children of Israel. So Moses numbered all the firstborn among the children of Israel as the Lord commanded him. And all the firstborn males, according to the number of names from a month old and above, of whose were numbered of them, were 22,273. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "'Take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel, and the livestock of the Levites instead of their livestock. The Levites shall be mine. I am the Lord.' And for the redemption of the 273 of the firstborn of the children of Israel, who are more than the number of the Levites, he shall take five shekels for each one individually, and he shall take them in the currency of the shekel of the sanctuary, the shekel of 20 geras. And he shall give the money with which the excess number of them is redeemed to Aaron and his sons. So Moses took the redemption money from those who were over and above, those who were redeemed by the Levites. From the firstborn of the children of Israel, he took the money, 1,365 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. And Moses gave the redemption money to Aaron and his sons, according to the word of the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. So in this, what we see is, is that the Lord now says that not the firstborn, but now it's going to be the Levites that belong to me. Now you recall that at Mount Sinai when Moses there in the book of Exodus was up on the mountain that the children of Israel said let's make a golden calf and let's say this is the God that brought us out of Egypt and they danced around that calf committing immorality and idolatry and so Moses came down from the mountain and he dealt with the people he said whoever's on the Lord's side come to me you have sinned a great sin and so who came to Moses it was the Levites wasn't it so the Levites came to Moses they went throughout the camp and they with a sword 3,000 would end up dying as they were slewed by the Levites so the Levites now the Lord has said you belong to me I'm your inheritance And when they go into the promised land, the Levites are not going to be given an allotment of land, but they'll be given a city, and they're going to continue in their ministry of the tabernacle, which would continue in the ministry of the temple when Solomon built the temple. And so here we see that this chapter talks about that, and there's 22,000 of the Levites in verse 39. We saw that here the firstborn, the census, was 22,000, that is, 273. So there's a difference of 273. So 273 firstborn are redeemed with that redemption money that we talked about in Leviticus chapter 27. You want to know more about that? You need to get the tape of Leviticus chapter 27 that talks about that, those who are redeemed. So it's talking about this redemption money. But here's the thing. 273, the Lord has this all numbered. And you and I have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, haven't we? And He knows again every single one of us. The Lord is in such details. He knows the names and He knows the numbers. And He's been redeemed, or He has redeemed you and I, not with silver and gold, not with shekels, but with His precious blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we've been saved and we've been forgiven but we are created to do good works in Christ Jesus as well, aren't we? It is him that works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasures. Revelation chapter 4 declares to us that we were created for his good pleasure. You see, not only are we to, to just rejoice, and we do, in the salvation and forgiveness that we have, but also to understand that the Lord now desires to set you apart because you've been redeemed to be used for his purposes. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing that we belong to, the body of Christ. Do you understand that we are are a holy nation, as Peter would write, that we're a royal priesthood, the privileged status that you and I have, that we're living stones being fit together, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. In this living temple, this holy habitation that's being put together, and you have a part in that. And that you have a part in being a testimony and a witness and an ambassador for him and wherever he has placed you. So remember that when you're at work and the people are getting under your skin or perhaps rubbing you the wrong way or whatever it might be, that the Lord has you there for a purpose. We've got to look at the big picture, don't we? And I know that it's difficult at times and I know people can be hard in our neighborhoods, in our schools, other family members. But the Lord has you to be a part of this family that we can be salt and light to others. And again, that's why it's so important that when we come into this place that we're encouraging one another and edifying one another, that we're continuing to grow in God's word and how he has patterned for us our lives and how we are to be a witness to others, how we are to worship him how we can be a light to others. So I pray that, that we would remember that, that, Lord, you have something for me to do. You can actually use me where I am planted and at my workplace, here in the church, in my own family, yes, because you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now he desires to use you, and there's nothing like, and if we just get this in our hearts, there's nothing greater than serving the true and the living God in very simple ways and practical ways again, and the opportunities that he gives to you and what he lays on your heart. Such great joy, and it keeps us in that proper perspective that we are to have, and that is eternity, and heaven is real. Store up your treasures in heaven. Serve him, and understand that the Lord's going to reward you for the faithfulness for what you do now, as we talked about on Sunday morning. As Paul says, you'll be rewarded as your works are tried by fires. not talking about salvation, but we're talking about rewards for what we do for him. He saves us, he he delivers us, he forgives us, and and then he makes us a new person in Christ, regeneration. And and then he empowers us and gifts us, and then he's going to reward us. It's all the Lord. I don't think there's a better deal out there, folks. There isn't. The free gift of salvation, the Lord's desire to use you in a powerful way and whatever it might be. And what he has for you is just as important as he has for anybody else. And your part in the body of Christ. So let's look at these duties again. Ooh, I don't know how much we'll get through, but we'll go a little bit longer in chapter 4. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, Take a census from the sons of Kohath, from among the children of Levi, by their families, by their father's house. From 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, all who entered this service to do the work in the tabernacle meeting. And this is the service of the sons of Koath in the tabernacle meeting relating to the most holy things. And so, what it was is that it was the Levites that we're going to see that they would minister from 30 years old to 50 years of age. That was kind of the prime of their life. Remember that the priestly ministry and what they do. It was hard work. I mean, some of these boards that they would carry were 2 feet wide, and they were 15 feet long. Some of the boards covered with gold. I mean, it was hard physical work that these guys were involved in, so kind of the prime of their life. And you think, well, that's a pretty good deal. From 30 years old, you don't go to work and get a job till you're 30 years old, and then you get to retire when you're 50 years old. But it wasn't quite that way. When we get to Numbers chapter 8, there's the indication there That those who were 25 to 30 years of age were being trained for the service. They were like interns in training. They were being trained by those holy men who had God's wisdom, the Levites who had served in the tabernacle after they were 50 years old. So when you're 50 years old, what you would do is because you were experienced, because you had done the work of the ministry you would turn around and you begin to train those young men who were going to then be involved in ministry. And I think there's something very, very important for you and for me, and we'll end here tonight. Those of you who've been in the Lord for a while, for those of you who have been coming and growing in God's Word, and that's the way to maturity is you continue to grow in his word. You continue to know the scriptures, to learn of him and his ways. There's no other shortcut, folks. I was reading articles today how one particular church down south, because of all these controversial subjects, they like to talk about how the church is growing, and talk about how we're getting all these people in. And You know, there are things that we could do to try to draw the people in. But there's no substitute of going through the scriptures and learning of God's truth in his word that matures us and make us strong in the Lord, to know him more. And those of us who have been learning the scriptures in your own devotions, coming to Bible studies, coming on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, men's studies, whatever it might be, you have so much to offer those who are younger. And I pray that you would share that godly wisdom with perhaps the young guys at work or maybe that you would take very seriously, dads, as you minister to your children and raise them up in the ways of the Lord. That we would be ones here in the church that we would take very seriously in encouraging the young people and the things of God and the ways of God. Because they're our future. That we would look at the children there in the children's ministry as, you know what, we have a lot to share with them and teach them. But those of us who have been through God's word who are learning it and growing you have so much to offer others and in, in the truths of God and in, in training them in the ways of God, whatever that might mean, wherever you're at, whatever He's called us to. And I know that my heart here at Calvary Chapel is as I watch these young people go upstairs and, and I've had young guys say, hey, the Lord has touched me and, and I feel like the Lord has a call in my life to take the time To do that and to teach and to minister. I saw Pastor Chuck Smith. He did that, didn't he? With the whole Jesus movement that came out in the 70s as thousands of young people came as he simply took them through the word of God. Some of those young people are pastoring some of the largest churches in the world because they took the time to teach them God's word. And you see, that's what we can do here at Calvary Chapel. That's what you can do to your families. That's what you can do to a small group of people that you're ministering to. But those of you, those of us, who have been matured in God's Word, who are growing in God's Word, we can give to others. Just as the Levites, yep, they got experience, they would turn around, they would begin to train the younger guys, and that's what we are to do. The next generation, and that's being lost And it's being lost in two ways. Number one, 80% of kids coming out of youth group don't go to church anymore after high school because it isn't fun anymore. And I'm all for fun. I like to have fun with kids, but they know that when I'm here with them on Sunday nights teaching them, and they know that on Sunday mornings they sit in with their parents, that our responsibility is while we got them here is to get them grounded in God's Word and to encourage them For us to have them understand that ministry is about being a servant. It isn't about making a name for yourself or being popular or whatever it might be. But because God has called you to that ministry and because you love the Lord and is serving people in whatever it is that he has for you. To show them what God has to say about being the least. And that will make you great in the kingdom. To humble yourself as a child if you want to be great in the kingdom. Childlike faith coming. And just serving the people. And trusting the Lord. All those things that we can teach them and show them. So I pray that this is a place. People are seeing our witness. And receiving instructions. Those of us who continue to grow in God's word. That's you guys. Because I look out here and I see that you guys are here and you're here on Sunday mornings and you've got so much to offer others. Will you take the time? Whoever has come in your way that is younger, and I'm not talking necessarily chronological age. It, it, yeah, that's part of it. But you have matured in the Lord and are maturing in the Lord. As you continue to mature, you're going to have more to give. And I encourage those who need to grow in God's Word and give them truth and understanding, and principles, and you being an example in your life and how you live. I do not, for the life of me, understand more and more pastors that are not encouraging their people to walk in the ways of the Lord, but be more like the world. Why do you want to be more like the world? This is going to hold you in bondage. But true liberty and freedom in Christ is having that liberty and freedom to live for Christ, isn't it? Sense is going to hold you in bondage, the ways of the world. But as people see our lives and the reality of Jesus being worked out in our lives, just as the nation was to be a blessing to the other nations, I pray that we would be salt and light to others and that we would be able to practically and verbally be able to show them and teach them the ways of God. They would see it worked out in our lives, and that's a big part of it. And that we would be able to help the others to grow in the things of God. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for these chapters here and so many principles that are for us. And I pray that, Father, as we just take a few minutes to continue the worship, we thank you for these words given to us and a lot of details. But, Father, we thank you that you desire to use us, that you know us. And, Father, I pray that we would rejoice in that and be just completely surrendered to you and dedicated to you. That we would continue to know your pattern and your ways, your truth and your commandments that are given to us individually, and whatever it is in our families, in this church corporately, to follow after you and what you have for order, where you have this planet, the pattern that you have for our lives. And Lord, that we wouldn't deviate from that. Lord, that we would be thankful and content in how you're using us and what you've called us to do. Whether that's gathering a peg or carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Father, I pray that we be ones that, Lord, that we would be thankful every day that, that we can come into your presence because Jesus Christ has redeemed us by his precious blood. And so, Father, every day when we have a heart of gratitude and thankfulness, and I understand that these days are hard for many, wondering what's going to happen with the economy, perhaps going through own difficulties with family or at the workplace, whatever it might be, maybe even health. The Lord that you would bring encouragement right now, that they would know that you know them not only their names, but even the number of hairs on their heads. And your promises are true. And the Lord that you desire to bring provision and protection for strength and wisdom and comfort in our need, and that you would do that. And Lord, right now, that we would just draw close to you as we just focus on you in song and praise. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.